Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Vision for You. Today is Sunday, November 25th, 2018. My name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater from Oregon. The share ID numbers for Friday, November 23rd, 2018, are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Meeting is 12218. 12,218. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Meeting, that number is 12220, 12,220. This morning, A Vision for You presents Chapter 4, We Agnostics. Okay, perhaps you allow me to be completely frank with you today. The treatment for the disease of compulsive overeating is spiritual in nature. And right here we have found by way of conversations and actions that there is often confusion between religion and recovering on a spiritual basis. At times there is so much controversy over the terms that some have walked away from the program of recovery or that recovery so easy because they were in such good standing with the church. How do we come to terms with all the implications surrounding words like agnostic, atheist, believer, non-believer, in the treatment for this disease? What in the world do these words have to do with our disease in the first place? Well, it seems like in many cases everything. Chapter 4, We Agnostics, is entirely dedicated to demystifying, simplifying, and ridding one from the prejudice against the mere mention of the word God. The chapter awakens and addresses beliefs and concepts that do not line up to what my actions are saying about my beliefs or non-beliefs. We agnostics enlighten to a new way of considering how close we are to living by faith and spirit already. If one has determined to be a real compulsive overeater, example, if one identifies with the criteria outlined in the book Alcoholics Anonymous for diagnosing, then each will be faced with the prospect of finding a power greater than self, which is a spiritual plan of action. Something that is not me that will guide me to be restored to sanity. What is the criteria for qualifying as a real compulsive overeater anyway? Well, two things. I have an allergy of the body, things that I put in my mouth, like the alcoholic with booze that they can't put in their mouth anymore. And I've got to figure out what those things are because they're triggering this allergy so that I don't have that going on anymore. And then the obsession of the mind, which seems to be the greater aspect of this disease. It is what I identify the disease to be. You'll find a couple of questions in the first paragraph on page 44 of the chapter we agnostic that you might find helpful. Here today to unwrap the gift that this chapter is for us today is Kim G. Kim G. is a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Kim is a member of A Vision for You, a lifelong learner, teacher, and messenger of the real hope and promise of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, where we find the directions for recovering. She will break down the chapter we agnostic to its simplest terms in order to enhance what the authors have written through her experience, strength, and hope. Please help me welcome to the line Kim G. Welcome, Kim G. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your dignity and grace as always. Um, My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from the South Jersey area. And for those of you who don't know me, just want to give a, a brief introduction. I have um, and came into Overeaters Anonymous in 1994. I've been recovered now for almost 18 years. So you do the math, you can see there were many years in OA 
that I relapsed, that I was going in and out of the, the, I would say in and out of recovery, but I realized now it was really in and out of the fellowship because I wasn't working the steps. Um, my history is in my early 20s, I was obese. I would be at my parents' house doing laundry, going up and down the stairs and having to take a break because I'd be short of breath. Um, I got to the point where I only bought slip-on shoes because shoelaces, I couldn't bend over and be comfortable tying my shoes. And I would panic when I went into a room where there were only chairs that had arms on them. But also, once I was in Overeaters Anonymous, I got underweight. Um, I lost my period. I remember one time in a store where my size two jeans were getting loose, and I asked where the the sizes were that were smaller, and the 16-year-old girl told me they didn't have a size smaller, and I had a meltdown right in front of the girl. I've also been bulimic. Um, mostly exercise bulimic. I remember one time having a binge, and even though I had 102 fever, going to the gym and actually passed out and fell and cracked my head and had was bleeding, but I tried to hide it because I needed to get back on that elliptical in order to do my penance. But I also did vomit. I remember I thought this was rational, that I would eat a reasonable meal, eat a bunch of carrots, which I cannot stand carrots, and then I would binge on what I really wanted, and that I would throw up until the carrots, thinking that was the way I was going to be nutritionally sound. So this step two that we're going to go into, which um, I love how Melanie did the introduction, the first sentence on page 44, and I hope you have your books with you because we're really going to dig into this chapter. The first um, sentence on page 44 says, in the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. We hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. So the reason this chapter is so important is because of the chapters before. I don't think I need power in step two until I understand that I'm powerless in step one. So I'm going to take a couple minutes just to review what does it mean to be powerless. In the doctor's opinion, we're told about this twofold nature, that I have this allergy of the body, that when I ingest certain substances, certain foods, not all foods, When I ingest certain foods, certain ingredients, and engage in certain behaviors, I have a phenomenon of craving. I like to say it as I cannot reasonably predict what's going to happen if I eat those foods. And the larger aspect of my disease is this mental twist, this inability to get comfortable in my abstinence, which requires me to get ease and comfort in the food. And the reason there's over 200 12-step programs is because step one and step 12 are different. The allergy that I have to food is what makes me a real compulsive overeater. If someone does not have an allergy to food, if they say that they don't have an allergy to any specific substances, they're not a real compulsive overeater. And, you know, that is the reason that I am a member of Overeaters Anonymous, but I attend AA meetings because I don't have an allergy to alcohol. So it's so essential. Do we have this disease that the doctor describes? Then we go into Bill's story. Now that we know what the disease is, what does that look like in a human being? And I'm to disregard that that, that Bill is a a man from the 1930s, World War I veteran, stockbroker, and I ask myself, did I eat like Bill drank? Did I think like Bill thought? Did I feel like Bill felt? And do I identify in with the progression? Bill goes from excitement to necessity to oblivion. Do I identify in? And then there's a solution I'm being confronted, you know, a big part of knowing who I am is knowing who I am not. So I'm being confronted with the difference between a moderate eater, a heavy eater, and a real compulsive overeater. Because if I am a moderate eater or a hard eater, I don't need to do the steps. I might benefit from the steps, but it's not needed. 
And then in, on page 25, I'm, I'm confronted with the real problem. The intolerable situation, which I thought was in the food, is not my problem. If, that, if the real problem was just the food, then I would just stop eating and I'd feel better. The intolerable situation is being abstinent. And when I'm abstinent and I'm so uncomfortable, I have two alternatives. One is to blot out the consciousness to pick up the food. And the other is to seek spiritual help, which is to pick up the steps. And that propels me to the next chapter, which is more about alcoholism, which to me is why I need to come to Overeaters Anonymous. If my problem was just the allergy, then rehabs would kick out 100%. I'm a kid of the 80s. Nancy Reagan, just they know, would have worked for me if I just had an allergy. So more about alcoholism is about sobriety and why it's so untenable. My big thing with step one is I had to understand my powerlessness and my unmanageability in sobriety. So I'm given four stories, not of people that are drunk and can't get sober, but people who are sober and make the insane decision to pick up again. And the line on 33 I'm just going to bring out, because once again, that allergy is what defines us as a compulsive reader versus a gambler versus a sex addict versus an alcoholic, is I have to fully concede on page 33, it says, if we are planning to stop eating, there must be no reservation of any kind nor any lurking notion that someday we'll be immune to alcohol. If you're hearing the message that you can do the steps and then moderately eat your binge food, that person is either in delusion or maybe they're a moderate or heavy eater described in the prior chapter. So now that that urgency is there, the simplest definition of powerlessness to me that I have heard is I cannot eat safely and I cannot be sober contently. And if, I, if that is my reality, then what happens is I need a power. As Melanie said, this is not about religion. This is not about having a, have certain beliefs about a God or not having a belief about a God. This chapter is going to try to teach us, do we need a power greater than ourselves? Does our step one experiences convince us that we need a power? So they give us the simple test of whether you are that real compulsive overeater. It says on the first paragraph on page 44, if when you honestly want to, you cannot quit entirely, which means you can't be sober contently, or if when eating you have little control over the amount you take, which is the allergy, you are probably an alcoholic. So just to give you two examples of friends of mine who have one or the other, but not both, I have friends that tell me that once they open up a bag of Doritos to eat the whole bag, they can't stop. And I say to them, well, what do you do about that? And they look at me like I'm nuts. They say, well, I just don't open up the bag of Doritos. And they have some sort of reaction when they eat Doritos, but they have the, the, the sanity to say, well, just don't do that. I also have another friend that loves, loves, loves chocolate, thinks about it all day long. And she comes home, and she has a bag of Hershey Kisses, and she has one Hershey Kiss. And I have seen her have that one Hershey kiss. She has that oh, feeling I have at that first bite, but she gets satisfied. She doesn't have an allergy. A bag of 30 Hershey kisses lasts her, lasts her 30 days. So if I have both, if that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only, only a spiritual experience will conquer. And that's what I had to concede in step two is that need for that spiritual experience. Once again, I had to look at my own prejudices. I thought step two, when I read it off of page 59, or when I read it on the wall in the meeting, meant that I had to return to my childhood religion. And that scared the heck out of me. It was not I didn't believe in God. 
It was my beliefs in God that terrified me and kept me, kept me in fear. So this is not about a belief in God, religion, specific tenets. This chapter is trying to teach us, do you need a power? I heard recently, I thought it was wonderful. It said in religion, they say, here are the principles, do them. In Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, here are the principles. You don't have the power to do them. So let's drop to the bottom of the page 44, the last two lines. If a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. But we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us no matter how much we tried. We could wish to be moral. We could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might. But the needed power wasn't there. Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. They failed us utterly. Now, for me, once again, having been in OA for 17 years, this wasn't just looking at what was the human aid that I was trying to employ before OA, the diet, dating that right guy, you know, um, having enough money for that new diet program or that new gym. But what was I doing in Overeaters Anonymous? Was I, was I worshiping a food plan, thinking that would save me? I remember one time buying, like, special brand Tupperware and thinking that would keep me abstinent. Was I thinking if only I can get that sponsor, if only I can do a 90 and 90, if a, if a 90 and 90 cured compulsive overeating, what do I do on day 91? So I had to realize that all those human resources failed me. And that next paragraph, this is the beautiful paragraph that really started to shake my world. It says, lack of power, that was my dilemma. You see, because I thought the problem was lack of intellect, lack of knowledge, lack of money. It's lack of power that's my dilemma. And let me tell you, when you get access to power in step 11, their dilemma goes away. I had to find a power by which I could live. I was seeking a power by which I could eat. Once again, my problem is sobriety. If I find a power by which I can live comfortably, then I'll can you still hear me? I, I, I can just now. Okay, okay. It's a little man. And there's a little crack, just a little crackling behind your mic, so I didn't know if maybe that was the cause of it. I don't know. I just heard the little man. <laughs> um, okay, so I love the word that it's obviously it's a full sentence. And once again, if we open up this book and just teach someone this chapter, it's not going to be obvious. Why is it obvious? Because of all the information I learned before. You know, I, I've, been, I've told this story for quite a few years, but it has a new meaning to me. I remember being in my home group about five, six years ago, and I'm sitting there, and the person leading the meeting was a chiropractor. I have a master's in accounting. The girl directly to my right is a nurse practitioner. The girl to my left was a Yale-trained lawyer. Across from me was a gentleman who was not only a doctor, but he taught in medical school. And two over from him was a college professor. It really struck me that lack of intellect and lack of knowledge is not our problem. But also, too, I have to tell you what saddens me out of all those people that were abstinent recovered that I was talking about, only two of us are abstinent today. That is the reality of our, of our disease. So... Where it's, it continues in the next paragraph, where, well, that is exactly, but where and where, but where and how are we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. 
So the wonderful thing is that I don't have to figure this out. This book is going to give me clear-cut directions. And the main object is not to get me sober. The main object is to get me uh, find a power. This book never says don't drink. What the book says is you're going to drink, you're going to drink, you're going to drink unless you have a spiritual awakening. So we have to put the food down so that we can attack the real problem, which is the obsession of the mind. And the main object of this book is to help you attack the, main, the, the mental twist. And it says on page 45 again that it means, of course, that we're going to talk about God. Now, Melanie kind of alluded to this, but this is the way that I, I, had, to, I had to approach this. Is when I first started reading this book, I thought to myself, why am I reading this book about alcohol? I am not an alcoholic. But I could tell you this book spoke to me as a compulsive overreader, and I no longer worried about the word alcohol because I understood it meant my food. Then even when it came to food, I wore a fellowship that my abstinence, my alcoholic foods may not be your alcoholic foods. And I used to get all caught up in as well. If you said banana, that means I can't eat a banana. Or if you say another word, I got all caught up in that. But now I understand through that doctor's opinion that when, when someone is saying their food, I have to know what my alcoholic foods are, and I don't get caught up in what your alcoholic foods are. It is the same approach with God. God is, is just a term that's used in this book because they came from the Oxford groups. God has a million different words. It could, it could be Abraham or Jehovah or Muhammad or nature or the universe or principles like honesty and, and beauty and all these different things. It's your own conception. I find it beneficial personally when I'm teaching this chapter to use the word power. Because I find, in all honesty, it's a lot easier to teach this chapter to an, an atheist who has no concept of God than it is to a true believer who has a lot of prejudices about the word God, and that was me. So let's go to page 46. That's the first full paragraph. It says, yes, we of agnostic temperament had these thoughts and experiences. So I want to talk about that to get this out of the religiosity again. And I use this as a recovered woman. We have the word atheistic, agnostic, and believer. Atheist does not believe in a God. Agnostic is unsure. And then a believer is someone who believes in God. So take that back into power. To me, an atheist is someone who's totally self-sufficient. I am totally on my own will. I can do it. Agnostic temperament is when I'm unsure. Maybe, maybe a higher power can help in this area of my life, but you know what? When it comes to romance and finance, I have to have control. And then a believer is someone who's totally God-reliant, other-centered. And I have to tell you, as a recovered woman, I can be all three many times in a 24-hour period. So I have to check my agnostic temperament. Where am I in self-reliance? Because self-reliance is exactly where I go back to my disease. So let's continue on the last paragraph of page 46. It says, much to our relief, we discover we did not need to consider another's conceptions of God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to affect contact with him. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed with a new sense of power and direction, provided we took a few other simple steps. We found that God does not make too hard terms for those who seek him. To us, the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, and all-inclusive, never exclusive to those who earnestly seek him. So it doesn't matter what our conception is. 
once again, my prejudice, I thought I had to have a relationship with God at step two. And the simplicity is if step one is powerlessness and step two is power and that's the answer, then we could have a two-step program. Our program could be a pamphlet. Step two is just the understanding that I need a power. I don't get access to that power till step 11. So how do I get access to that power in step 11? I have to do the steps three through 10 in between. But step two convinces me that I need to continue with that step work. And it says here we have to earnestly seek him. Earnestly seek. This is about are you going to take action to seek that power? Continuing on the top of 47. Um, oh, actually, not the top of 47. We're going to go to the last line on 47. The five, the seeming inability to accept much on faith. We have often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. Many of us have been so touchy that even casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. This sort of thing had to be abandoned. Though some of us resisted, we found no great difficulty in casting aside such feelings. Faced with alcoholic discussions, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a, was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. Sometimes this was a tedious process. We hope no one else will be prejudiced for as long as we are. I have to tell you, I love, love, love that word. Um, handicapped. And I have the definition here. It says to restrict movement or the ability to function. And that was my truth. It, was, it restricted my ability to function, my disease. So what was doing that? My obstinacy, my arrogance, my I know, I know, my sensitiveness. I mean, I take everything personally. You know, I mean, I, I, I was going to Ireland last year and we had a big, big huge storm in, in uh, Philadelphia and all the flights were canceled. And I felt like Mother Nature was out to get me. I take everything personally. And then unreasoning prejudice. I had to even look at what my prejudice is. What about the word prejudice? I thought to myself, well, I'm not prejudiced. I don't have a problem with people of different ethnicities or um, sexual orientations or religions. But prejudice is a prejudgment. And as someone who was in OA for 17 years floundering, what were my prejudgments about Overeaters Anonymous? I believed OA was a tool program, not a tech program. What was my prejudice about these steps? Once again, believing step two was me having to go back to, to my childhood religion. What are those old ideas that are keeping me handicapped? And that type of thinking had to be abandoned. It didn't have to be reconsidered. It didn't have to be tweaked. It had to be abandoned. And I love that word bristle because I think of myself like a porcupine. I don't want to give up my old idea that I put up those quills and nothing's going to touch me. So what convinces me? Faith with alcoholic destruction. Alcohol is the great persuader. I was, I'm going to be taught in step three that I got to quit playing God. That's a daily challenge for me with working with other people. I cannot convince anyone of this work. I don't want to get between my sponsees or anyone else I talk to in the fellowship between them and their step one experiences. The food is going to convince them, not me. And by me trying to keep them coddled and in comfortable misery is only going to stop them from having that step one experience they need to have so that they can go through this book and recover. So I like to look at, they talk here about electricity and all these different things that, that, um, ha that we, we take for granted. And I just want to use my personal example. I am someone that has no sense of direction. 
I live in Burlington County, New Jersey. I was afraid to leave Burlington County, New Jersey for many years because I was afraid I was going to get lost, especially if there was one-way streets. I come, I'm in a hotel. I constantly go the wrong way when I walk out the door. But I can't tell my right from my left. And when the GPS came out, I was thrilled to death. I put this machine, and I would put an address in there. And I have to tell you, I had no desire to call up the company and ask where these satellites were in the air. I did not want to know who – I didn't want to see the patent. I didn't have to talk to the engineers. My inability to tell directions, I was opened up to putting an address in there, and then every time I got to that address, I would build confidence in that GPS. It's the same thing. I don't know if these steps are going to work. I'm just suffering enough, and I'm seeing people in whom the problem has been solved, and I'm thinking maybe it will work for me. And I have to tell you, that the GPS keeps growing. I remember a couple of years ago, I got a new um, app on my phone, and I was doing a 15-week series in Philadelphia, and I went 15 weeks and never went the same direction because it's a social media GPS that would that took into account direction. I mean, um, traffic. I would turn my GPS on while I was eating dinner because it would tell me was was it going to take me 35 minutes, 45 minutes, or an hour to get to where I was going. And just recently, I had something that said update, and I just hit yes. I had no idea what I had been updating. And now my GPS actually hooks into my calendar, and I'll get a pop-up saying, you know, yoga class starts in, in half hour, you know, 17 minutes to get to your yoga class, light traffic. It's the same thing with my relationship with a power. It has to grow. The relationship I had with a power when I recovered eight years ago is not sufficient for where I am now in my recovery. That relationship needs to grow, and it expands, and it becomes more with depth and weight every single year. And I hope that continues. It has to continue. So let's get into page 50. On page 50, on the third paragraph, it says, on one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. Who are these men and women? These men and women who have had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. So once again, that's my problem. Once, it's not my belief. It's not that I don't believe in a, in a God or a religion or whatever. You can be a practicing. I mean, why else are, are nuns and priests and rabbis and ministers members of 12-step programs? You can't tell them they don't have a relationship with their power, but they need access to that power on a deeper level because of their addiction. So it says here, um, last paragraph, here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed, that flatly declare that since they've come to believe in a power greater than themselves, step two, take a certain attitude towards that power, step three, do certain simple things, Steps four through nine, they've had a revolutionary change in their way of thinking, steps 10, 11, and 12. So they're letting us know that the step process is how I'm going to get access to that power. So let's go to page 52. In page 52, that second full paragraph is what's called the bedevilments. And I was taught to say the bedevilments in first person, but also after each bedevilment, say one abstinence. Because if my only problem with these bedevilments is when I'm abstinent, I mean, when I'm in the food, then my solution is abstinence. But if these bedevilments plague me when I'm abstinent, I'm going to need to find a different solution. So the second full paragraph, I had to ask myself, why shouldn't I apply to my human problems the same that I used to change my point of view? Were they having problem with personal relationships? 
when abstinent? Couldn't I control my emotional nature when abstinent? Was I a prey to misery and depression when abstinent? Couldn't I make a living when abstinent? Did I have a feeling of uselessness when abstinent? Was I full of fear when abstinent? Was I unhappy when abstinent? Couldn't I seem to be a real help to other people when abstinent? I have to tell you, I almost started to cry because I realized for myself that these bedevilments were much worse in abstinence than they ever were in the food. Food numbed me. Food made me feel nothing. So when, I was, when my emotional nature was out of control, I did eat. There were times when I was abstinent that people would throw candy bars at me just to shut me up. You know, I always had a job. I'm like, I couldn't make a living. I always had a job. But I was in my late 20s living with my parents because I couldn't afford an apartment plus my binge foods. You know, these bedevilments were on my back. I needed to get rid of them. And the only way I got rid of them was to eat. And that was now I realized was killing me. So this next paragraph, I have to tell you for me, this was my step two. It says, when we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. So from this information, I realized before OA and in 17 years in OA, trying to work the program the way I wanted to work it, it did not work. And I saw these people that told me that this God idea worked, that these 12 steps specifically done through the big book worked for them. And I believed it worked for them because I believed them when they said they were like me and I could see they were no longer like me. And my belief that it worked for them was my step two. Nothing more complicated than that. So let's go to page 53, that second full paragraph. When we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. So this self-imposed crisis, I can, I can make an argument that before I came into OA, I didn't understand what was going on. I, it was purely on autopilot. And I can even say that for many years in OA, there was a lot of confusing messages that I didn't understand how this was self-imposed. But once I was educated through this big book, once I got into a healthy reading of Overeaters Anonymous that clearly defined the problem, I could no longer say that it was not self-imposed. And I had to, and I could not postpone or evade. I knew that I was either going to die or I was going to do these steps. And I had to fearlessly face the proposition that God is everything or he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What is our choice today? So once again, let me take the word God out of this. I need to ask myself, is this 12-step way of life, is these directions in the big book, is this big book, is it everything? Or is it nothing? The same book is either is or it isn't. What is my choice today? I'm being asked at this point, am I all in? Am I committed to finish these steps? Am I committed to be uncomfortable in my abstinence and keep the food down? Am I committed that this is going to be a way of life? This is not something I graduate from. This is in and through me as my skeleton of my life. And I have to tell you, I use this as a recovered woman. I had a lot of insecurity with my job this year. And if I, when I would get into that agnostic thinking, maybe I can manipulate my job so I won't be the one that's laid off. 
that wasn't trusting this power. That wasn't trusting this big book. I have to work this big book in all areas of my life. Because the exact area of my life where I think this big book doesn't apply is exactly where that mental twist is going to come in, and it's going to take me down, and I'm going to be back in that, that um, doctor's opinion cycle. So let's move to page 55 now. On page 55, second full paragraph, actually we were fooling ourselves. For deep down, every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other, it is there. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. This was comforting to me. I mean, once again, I went through 12 years of Catholic school. So, and actually, it was written yesterday. A friend of mine got married, and she got married in my church where I went through first through eighth grade. It's probably the first time I've been there since I was out of college. And my belief for many years was the only way I could access God was to go to that specific church in Morristown, New Jersey, on 11 15 a.m. on a Sunday. And first, I had to talk to a priest or a nun in order to be able to talk to God. And now you're telling me he's deep down inside me, is every man, woman, and child? If that's true, why can't I access him? It's because I have put all this crap between me and the higher power. You know, in life, you know, the way that the world works, including with self-propulsion, it's all about more. I need more money, more sex, more things, more degrees, more this, more that. In the spiritual world, it's not about addition, it's about subtraction. So when I do these steps in four and five, I look at my fears, I look at my resentments, I look at my sex conduct, and they're cast to one side. In six and seven, I see those defects that are blocking me, that I'm selfish, that I'm dishonest, I'm self-seeking, I'm frightened, I'm inconsiderate, and those get cast to one side. And then in eight and nine, I get rid of the guilt the shame, the remorse of how I treated other people, and that is cast to one side. And when that is, those blocks are removed, this power inside me comes up. And I love to see how that happens in all my sponsees. I love to see the diversity of people who get, get go into religious practices of their childhood, get attracted to other religious practices, withdraw from religion, religion in general, and go into more spiritual or nature ways of doing it. You know, and once again, coming from this Catholic background, there was this picture I saw that I loved. And one of the famous pictures in Catholicism is the Last Supper, where Jesus is in the middle and his disciples were there. And it was a picture of Jesus in the middle, but instead of the disciples was Mahatma Gandhi and Muhammad and Martin Luther King. And in my Am I back again? Yes, you are back okay. again. Okay. Okay. Um, but I picture Bill and Bob up in that line, too. They're people that have found the God deep down inside them. And once again, I, for me personally, again, when I hear different, different um, descriptions of, of Christian terms, it kind of helps me. So I was listening to a spiritual teacher, and she talked about these disciples of Christ. And she said the origin of disciples is discipline. So if I'm going to be a student of this big book, it means I have to do the disciplines of this big book. And the disciplines of this big book give me access to that power that's deep down inside. So it's obscured. I like to think of the idea when I drive to work, and it's really, really foggy out. And I know there's a stoplight because I drive that way every day, and I can't see the stoplight, and I'm scared. It's, I'm going, it's nothing solid. 
that's how it feels when I'm blocked from that power. And what's it obscured by? It's calamity. If you want to know what calamity sounds like, think if a microchip could be put in your head and all day your thoughts would be on a, mic, on a megaphone. <laughs> that scares me. That scares me. I remember in a yoga class recently when my brain was going crazy and my yoga teacher came over and she said, Kim, you need to, we're going to work on quieting those, those chattering monkeys in your head. And I looked at her, I said, if only it was the monkeys, there's a whole damn zoo in my head that's going off right now. Like, I need to quiet down that calamity. My pomp, my arrogance, and then by worship of other things, it talks about that on page 54. Haven't we variously worshipped people, sentiments, things, money, and ourselves? So for those of us who think we can't worship, we can't have beliefs, I don't know about you, but I believe being a size six would bring me happiness. I believe getting them a master's degree would, would give me security financially. How many of us believe if our children are successful, or if I live in a certain neighborhood, or if my political candidate wins, or if, you know, everybody believes, like, there's all these things that we worship on a daily basis that are based on human aid that is always going to fail us. And that's why I'm so scared, because even if I get those things, then I'm in the fear of losing that thing. I'm going to be happy if I get this guy. And if I get that guy, oh, my God, what if I lose this guy? So it's all those things that are blocking me from that power. So let's drop down to the, to the um, one, two, the fourth paragraph on page 55. It says, we can only clear the ground a bit. If our testimony helps sweep away prejudice, enables you to think honestly, encourages you to search diligently within yourself, then if you wish, you can join us on the broad highway. With this attitude, you cannot fail. So I like to switch, switch things around sometimes in the big book because they didn't learn by success only. They learned by a lot of failures. So if they're saying, with this attitude, you cannot fail, they're telling me if I don't have this attitude, there's a good chance I'm going to fail. So what is the attitude that I need to approach these facts in life? I need to sleep away prejudice. I need to question those old ideas. I have to question everything. I have to think honestly, and I have to search diligently within myself. So if I do those, I will not fail. But if I don't do them, there's a good chance that I will fail. And I'm just going to end, um, well, shoot, two, end with two more things. Um, page 57, the last line, it says, when we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. And I was at a retreat um, a few years ago in my area, and the speaker said this, and I loved it. He read that line, and he said, if you walk to God, he will run to you. And I think of that. I think of that when, when, I'm, when I was a kid, and I would start to walk to my dad, and then he would run, and he'd pick me up in his arms, and I have a wonderful relationship with my father. I remember that feeling. But I had to, t I had to take those first couple steps. So I'm actually going to end this with on page 28. Back, and there's a solution. That second full paragraph. We, in turn, sought the same escape with all the desperation of a drowning man. What seems at first to be a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life had been given us, or if you prefer, a design for living that usually works. So that flimsy read is step two. Just the idea that I believe there's a power out there that can help me. No, I don't have to have any specific beliefs about that. And it's proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God, which the loving and powerful hand of God is step 11. So how is that proven? 
I am propelled in step two to make a decision in step three to learn a skill set in four through nine, and implementing that in 10 and 11 gets me a relationship with God. And I have to tell you, as a recovered woman, I seek a solution to save escape the desperation of a drowning woman on a daily basis because I truly understand what I suffer from today. This is a design for living that really works. My belief and my observation is that the big book and these steps work 100% of the time if we work it 100% of the time. And let me assure you, at this moment, I, I believe two things. I believe that if I continue this way of work, I am experiencing permanent recovery. I am in neutrality. I am safe and protected. I am not, I am not cocky. I am not afraid. But I also believe if I choose not to do this work, I don't believe I'm one bite away. I believe I'm three, four, five spots away. And if I don't do this work, I'm probably three or four days away from a relapse. So I hope this presentation has helped you guys understand what the big book teaches us about step two. And I hope that you take that conclusion and continue to do steps three through 12. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you for sharing your experience on this particular chapter as you have gone through it yourself. And it's a great teaching for us to have archived here and a vision for you. Very grateful for your time and your um, willingness today. We'll ask Kim for her contact information at the conclusion of the meeting. So if you would stand by for that, that would be good. And I wanted to let you know the share ID for today's presentation is already here. And that's 12222 for Sunday, November 25th, 2018, 12,222. So Kim, if you're ready, I'd like to open up the line to see if anyone has any questions today around your presentation. I'm going to open up the lines now for Q&A. If you're interested in asking a question of Kim, please give your name nice and slowly. I don't want to miss anyone today. Kathy KG from Boston. Kathy and Katie G. Cindy D. Cindy D. Julie E.B. Julie E.B. Margaret D. Margaret D. Vicki T. from Florida. Vicki T. You're a little bit faint there, Vicki. Oh. If you can kind of crank up your volume when you get a chance to come up with your question, that would be good. Thanks, Vicki. Vasa O. Toby K. Toby K. Let's go with that for right now and see what we got. That's a great lineup. Thanks so much. Okay, so if you're ready for this, Kim, we're going to go with Kathy K., Katie G., Cindy D., Julie E. B., Margaret D, Vicki T, Vasa O, and Toby K. If all the rest of you would please press star one on your phone keypad that will disconnect the connection to the um, technology here so we don't have any wonky sounds in the background. That would be helpful. Kathy K, your question this morning. Thank you. Looking Thank for you, people Melanie. Press star one, please. Can you hear me, Melanie? I can. Thank you. I was talking over your toes. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your um, service today. And Kim, thank you so much. I got so much out of your talk today and uh, a lot of hope as well as someone who wrestled for many years with agnosticism and, and now I do have a faith. My question to you as someone who is recovered, you mentioned briefly during your talk 
that sometimes you fall into self-reliance, and you gave the example of insecurity at your job. And I'm just wondering if you could tell us more about what you do when you realize you're in that self-reliance. Thanks, Kathy. Um, you know, you know it, it happens all the time. Um, I believe the steps are always the answer. So steps 10 and 11, short-circuit pinball machine that's going in my head, and I ask to... Um, to ask God into it, because I truly believe from working these steps that that I do not know my own best interests, and that if I align myself with my higher power, that um, that God will lead me to what needs to happen. But I'll give you one example from last week. Um, once again, everything's personal. I had off um, last Monday, and I decided to have someone come in and do my yearly heater checkup, and he suggested I have a part replaced, which I did. I came home Wednesday, and my heat, my heat was broken. And I called them up, and they said, well, we'll have to have someone come out tomorrow. I made an appointment for 2 to 6, called my 81-year-old father, who's retired, asked him if he would come there, had to spend the night. And I'm mad at this kid because he made me replace this part, and there was nothing wrong. Da, da, da. And I'm doing a lot of prayer, so I'm not, you know, acting out when I'm calling for help. Well, that was the day the snow happened last, last week, and I was tortured during the day. Of, of wanting, should I allow my father, who's 81, whose arthritis is so bad, do I want him driving in the snow? And the tension was, but I really can't have another night where, I'm, where I have no heat. It's just too cold out there. I was tortured by it. I'm praying to God, God, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And my company, I got an email that my company was closing at 3.30 because of the snow. And I was able to call the company and say, can you make it between four and six and not three, two and six? And they said yes. I was able to call my father, tell him he didn't need to come to the house. The reason I'm saying that is because I get in my own way thinking there's option one or option two. And if I use these steps to get quiet and try to align myself with God or whatever that power is for you, option number three winds up being easier and better. The line that I love, and step three is, even in my best moments, I'm a, con a producer of confusion rather than harmony. So I know when I'm in confusion, that's usually Ken's will. If I'm in harmony, I'm in God's will. So I try to get quiet and see where that's at, and I try to realign myself with that. And that's, you know, that is, is I think, what, what my higher power is looking for, too. He's not looking for me to be perfect in anything. He's looking for me to continue to try to align myself daily with him or her. Or it, whatever you, yours is. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy K, for your question. Katie G, your question, please, and then Cindy <laughs> will come after you. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Kim. Thank you both for your terrific uh, service. Uh, Kathy K actually asked one of my questions and really appreciated your answer. Kim, I was hoping you could speak to something um, I've heard of before. When and I actually did myself in step two, um, identifying a God of my creation. And what I mean by that is like um, writing a want ad for God and um, and creating a God that's not realistic. And what I mean by that is when I've um, when rubber has hit the road in my own recovery, I've realized I have had a Santa Claus God far into my far into my work. So um, any examples on how you might direct when you start hearing that for a woman that you're working with or any experiences that you've had with that and kind of coming to terms 
with the higher power of your understanding not being, you know, this uh, sort of Santa Claus, if that makes sense. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Katie. I just want to say this is my opinion again. So, because I, if, if, if making that, I was instructed early in LA to write a letter of resignation as God, to write a help wanted ad for God, and then write resumes for the higher power to of them applying for that position. For me, that was very detrimental. Um, it was wasting a lot of time. The simple question in step two is, do you need a power? And what that did, complicating it for me, I said, if that works for somebody, I don't want to diss that if your sponsor is doing that with you. But what it did for me was I started to play God. Who am I to tell God who he is? Who am I to tell a power grid within myself, how they're supposed to behave and what they're supposed to do to me. That's putting conditions on a power. You know, I, I love um, a, a AA speaker says he calls it a God beyond his understanding because if he can understand God, his God isn't big enough. So to me, those exercises were just distractions that got me away from the idea that all step two is, is I need a power and what that power will become will be, will, will be revealed to me later in the steps. I hope that makes sense. Thank you, Katie G, for your question. Cindy D, your question, please. And then Julie E. B. next. Hi, Melanie. Cindy D. Sorry about, there you I'm are. Melanie. Sorry mm -hmm. about that. A trouble with unmuting. Good morning. This is Cindy D, gratefully recovered in Texas. And thank you, Kim and Melanie, for your service. And Kim, you answered uh, my question partly with, with the question earlier, but I'm wondering um, when when you find that you're in self-reliance and you go back to steps 10 and 11, can you share something specific of how you align yourself with your higher power? Sure. Um, one of the things that has helped me once I'm in step 11, so once again, step two is I just need a power. Um, I think of it this way, like, you know, it's, this is not your question, but if you get married and you're on the, on the uh, altar and you say, I do, and you never talk to your husband again, is that going to be a good marriage? No. So what happened is I just had to, on faith, go through this process. Um, not in faith or desperation, but in step 11, two of the things that really helped me once I have access to that power is the nightly review says, what could I have done better? and what corrective measures should be taken. So what I have done is I have created ideals for different parts of my life. I have a, a work ideal. I have an ideal as a member of Vision for You. I have an ideal as a member of my home group, of Lovers Anonymous, as a sister, as a bug owner. Um, I got involved with politics this last uh, congressional season, so I had to create an ideal as a, as a, a political advocate. Um, and then at night, I look at that ideal and I say, what could I have done better? And what corrective measures should be taken? So, for example, I talked about my job where there was, you know, there was going to be layoffs. I couldn't control the layoffs. So what I did was I created a work ideal. And every day I, I looked at, am I living up to that ideal? And most times I didn't because I'm human. But I continued to work towards that ideal because my, I knew that if I, if I was going to get laid off, I didn't want it to be about my behavior. I wanted it to be because it was a financial decision by my company that they wanted less people in my accounting department. Um, so that's the, one of the, the, the most profound things I've done recently. It was to create these ideals and then 
looking at my behavior compared to the ideals tells me how I can more align myself with who God wants me to be. I hope that made sense. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cindy D. Julie E. B., your question, please, and Margaret B. will come next. Yeah, thank you so much, Kim. I appreciate your service. Um, My question has to do with working with someone and near someone who is struggling with depression and uh, asked me a question like, I don't know if this program can really work for me because whenever I get this chemical depression over me, I just see my higher power, God, as malicious, and it's just my thinking just goes so negative. And I can identify with part of it, but not with all of it. And so just wondering if you have any words of experience around that. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. Appreciate the question. Um, I really truly believe that we have to stay out of our, we have to stay in our lane. Our lane is the 12 steps. So if someone has clinical depression or diabetes or um, going towards divorce or, uh, you know, legal problems or financial problems, it's not my job to give anybody advice. What I tell them is that, you know, there's a line in, in we read today that God will solve all my problems. Now, I naively thought that meant, well, God's going to give me what I want, right? Um, what that means to me is, is if I get access to power, he's going to give me tools and help give me guidance of how to handle these problems. So this person might be guided to go to a new doctor. He might be guided to take medication, change medication, but that really, I need to stay out of that because those are outside issues. So I let people know, you know, I cannot help you with your depression or with your divorce or with your legal battles. What I can do is I can teach you these steps, and when you get through the steps, you can ask your higher power what you need to do with that. For example, with a marriage, God might lead you to a divorce attorney or he might lead you to a counselor. I have no idea. But I I find that, and and what it has done for me, Julie, is it helped me be more useful to people because... I cannot make decisions for other people. It exhausts me. But what I can do is I can share my experience with these steps, which can help them get a connection to a power, and then they can address those issues. And I highly encourage people to use um, outside, uh, outside help for outside issues. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Julie E.B. Margaret D., your question, please. Vicki T. will be next. May I be heard? You can. Um, I was so intent on listening to everybody, I forgot to unmute. Um, This is Margaret D. in Georgia, and um, thank you, everybody, for for all of your service, and thank you, Kim. Um, I really, I just can so identify with the self-reliance, popping out of every pore of my body, and um, I'm, what I'm trying to learn to do is uh, practice the thought of doing something differently um, despite what I think, feel, or believe. And so my question is, what, and this really, I guess, is, in a, is maybe it's an opinion, I don't know, but what do you think 
your experience would have been if when your yoga teacher said, Kim, you have to, you know, quiet the, the monkey or whatever, if instead of saying, well, I've got a whole, you know, zoo up there, if if you had been able to say, yes, ma'am, um, I go to yoga classes also, and my instructor has told me many times about the same thing about you need to just let it go, let it go, and, I'm all, and I always have like a quick answer or a snappy retort or something like that. Excuse me, Margaret, just in the interest of time, would you be able to formulate your question? Yeah, the question is um, when somebody says, um, you need to do X, Y, or Z, um, do you often follow that? Or do you go into your head about, and if so, how do you counteract that? Thank you. Thanks, Margaret. I mean, I think that's just different for different people. I'm friendly with my yoga teacher. It was, it was, it was a joke, you know? Um, and it's my truth. I don't, want to, I don't want to deny where I'm at. I did have a zoo running around my head. You know, and that's one of the things I think with step two, too, is we start to try to figure out, well, if this is my belief, then how can I figure out how to get out of self-reliance if, that, if that's my problem? I think step two just needs to be kept simple. When we learn that we learn that our powerlessness, we learn that we need a power. I'm the kind of person that, like, you know, give me, give me the degree and maybe I'll take some classes. I want everything right now. But step two is just the acknowledgement that what I'm doing isn't working. Self-reliance. Kim, you've cut out. We can't hear you. I know. I had to hit eight again. Sorry. Um, okay. Step two is, is simply the acknowledgement that what I'm doing isn't working. And the acknowledgement that I'm doing isn't working is going to lead me to step three. But what I want is I want everything right now. So just to keep it in the context of the teaching, are there, is there stuff that I do in 10 and 11 that helps me with that self-will? Absolutely. But as far as step two is concerned, I'm just acknowledging that I need a solution, not that I get the solution at step two. Thank you, Margaret D., for your question. Oh, thanks, Kim. Vicki T., your question, please. Uh, so O will be next. Thank you so much, Kim. My question was answered. It was about self-reliance. Just one, just one second, though, Vicki. Just one second. Just a question for you. Are you on speakerphone? Yeah, but I'm not going to talk because it was already answered. My question was answered. So thank you. Thanks so much, Vicki T. And anybody that might be on speakerphone, in just the instant that we are, it interferes with the recording. And when, and, uh, when you listen to it later, it is, uh, it's difficult. So just be aware of that one again, please. Basa oh, your question, please, and then Toby will come next. Yes, good morning. Thank you, Kim, for your service and Melanie for your service. And it's, it's such a privilege for me to be listening alive to the meeting because normally around this time I'm not. And, uh, and then to um, play the, pay, the back Call number, it's wonderful. Thank you for your service. My question is, do you, I, 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 I was agnostic or more like an atheist because I came from a, a communist country. So I was really having a hard time with God, but I like the thought of uh, spiritual. This is a spiritual program. This is a, a higher power. So, But anyways, do you believe that, um, that people have to go through the, 12 steps to get the, the connection of that higher power, or people can just do it doing step one, two, and three, 
like step one, I was powerless, yeah, and I need a uh, I need a power greater than myself, and uh, I was ready for that power. So, uh, my question is: Do it's probably different for everybody, but that's my question. Do you believe that you have to work through the whole twelve steps, or we can just do step one, two, and three, and get that power from the beginning, and then work the steps? And that's my question. Thanks, Basa. I mean, just remember the 12 steps come from the six tenets of Oxford, which are just ways to get a relationship with God. It's, it's nothing to do with alcoholism. Um, my experience working with the real compulsive overeater is you have to go through all 12 steps because belief in a power isn't enough. It's access to that power. And I don't think I said this during the presentation, but I think it's very important that we study this chapter, even if we have a belief in God and we're comfortable with it, because we're going to be working with people who aren't. We're going to be working with the atheist, who is always going to be an atheist, the agnostic, who's always going to be an agnostic. Even work with people who are believers who become agnostic and believers who become atheists and vice versa, because that's, we are a fellowship that's all-inclusive. But my belief personally is if I could do that without the steps, I would have done that a long time ago. This is, once again, my beliefs were killing me. So I need the process of four through nine to get unblocked to get access to that power. And once again, my belief is if you're the real compulsive overeater, if you're someone who has the allergy of the body and the mental twist, you need the steps in order to get access to that power. Now, once again, I don't believe that my God or my higher power is only limited to the 164 pages. Yes, there's probably other ways people can achieve it, but the only way that I can carry a message is by, by something that worked for me. So the only thing I can transmit is this 164 pages. So if someone feels they can do it another way or that one, two, and three is enough for them and they're happy, joyous, and free, I encourage them to follow that path. Um, it's just my personal experience lying specifically with this book that tells me I need to do all 12 in order to have that spiritual awakening. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Vasa O, for your question. Toby K., you're next with a question, and then we'll open up for a few more. Hi, it's Toby K. Can you hear me? I can. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much, Kim and Melanie, for your service. Um, I was wondering, when I get into social situations, um, my ego just takes over. It's... Uh, and I'm um, Orthodox Jewish, and I say a prayer before my before my food, and then well, I sometimes I just mumble it, and I don't really um, concentrate on it that well. But then when I'm eating, the God um, the God concept like flies out of my head. I'm thinking. I need one more. I need one more. And then I say, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? Do you really drink something? Uh, which is what happened to me um, yesterday because I had company and I got all jittery and everything. So uh, my question is when um, I'm in these um, situations that cause me problems and I forget, I forget my higher power, uh, what do I do? I I I, I can't uh, I can't figure it out. Thank Toby, you. Toby, where are you? Where are you in the steps? Uh, I'm doing step four again. 
Okay, so you, you're abstinent and have worked up through step four? Well, I don't know. I have to speak to my sponsor and tell her that I was having this trouble uh, yesterday um, with a fruit that I was eating. I felt too much of it. I couldn't control it. Okay. My amount. Okay, so so the answer is different for someone who's been through the steps and someone who's in the middle of the steps. So we, until we have a spiritual awakening, we don't have neutrality around food. And our disease wants us to go back to the food. Specifically, step four, we are looking at everything of the reasons that we eat. So it doesn't surprise me that the food is going to be advancing a little bit while you're going through step four. And that's why I always suggest you have to have a recovery ICU around you. You, know, you, want to, you want to bathe yourself in this big book. This is where the disciplines come in that I was talking about. You know, it might be that you need to talk to people, you know, call someone before a meal, call someone after a meal. Um, that's, to me, that's the beauty of committing your food because that way you don't have to make decisions throughout the day. What am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? For me personally, again, that's the beauty of buying and measuring. I can enjoy the first bite for the last bite because I'm not that chatter in my head of, am I having too much? Am I having too little? Am I having too much? Am I having too little? It's quieted down. But I don't, I don't experience neutrality until I get to 10 and 11. So it, in the beginning steps, I think it's important for us to use the support of the fellowship, to use these disciplines. And there's certain, you know, there were certain things that I couldn't do. There were certain people I couldn't be around during the holidays. I could maybe go for an hour and spend some time with my mother and then had to excuse myself because I, I was not safe and protected. I was not neutral. I was cocky and I was afraid. So... I think the answer is different depending on where you are in the steps, but I would definitely encourage you to talk to your sponsor and see how you can have that recovery ICU surround you while you're going through this process because you are going to have these feelings. That's the reason we need to do the steps because the food still has power over you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Toby, for your question. Mm-hmm. This will be our last invitation for folks to ask questions today on this presentation. If you'd like to ask a question of Kim, press star one on your phone keypad. Harlan G. Harlan. Good morning. Christina L. Christina L. Linda G. Linda G. Hi. Siobhan. Siobhan. Abby, me. Abby, what was your last initial? B as in boy from Maryland. Thanks. Okay, thanks, Abby. Is that it, everyone? They got a list? Going once, going twice. And all questions will be asked. Okay, good. Great. Thanks so much. So we have Harlan G., Christina L., Linda G., Siobhan C., and Abby B. Good morning, Harlan. Sarah C. Good morning, Melanie, and, and thank you for your service. And Kim, what a gift you are, what, what a gem you are. And thank you for your service this morning as well of bringing Chapter 4 into, into light for us. Kim, I am of the belief and have been for decades that this disease is permanent, progressive, and fatal. And at the very beginning of your presentation, you talked about the first few chapters. You talked about the allergy of the body, and you talked about the obsession of the mind. And you said that the information in Chapter 4 is valid because of the 
information in the first few chapters. Here's my question. What is your uh, what are your thoughts of people that have been in the rooms for lengths of time who claim that they can now eat chocolate or they can now eat uh, whatever it is that they eat? What are your thoughts on people who will do that? Uh, because it's my experience that that is just not possible for the true compulsive overeater. And thank you uh, for answering my question. Thanks, Holly, for the question. You know, I, this is one of the reasons I think it's important for us to know our book so we can bring people to parts of the book. So I would bring them to There's a Solution, where it talks about the moderate eater, the heavy eater, and the true compulsive overeater. Because that, if that is someone's truth, then they're not the real compulsive overeater. They are the moderate eater or the heavy eater. And as I said before, the tenants of Oscar were there to help to begin a relationship with God. A moderate eater, a heavy eater would probably benefit from doing the steps. But I have to know who I am. I am of that 10% that Dr. Silkworth talks about, that the allergy does not change. And if it is the real compulsive overeater who is delusional thinking they can do that, and unfortunately there's uh, meetings and members that will tell them that, that they, they can do that, I just think it's in, imperative for me to know in the book where I can show them that that does not agree with what the book says. Um, but I also believe, Harlan, that God will use every experience to be helpful. And if that experience brings someone to a better understanding of step one, maybe they, when they return, they'll do the steps with a level of desperation they didn't do it before. You know, I, I was at a traditions workshop in Niagara, and this gentleman really like, and they were having this discussion about the tradition five being the primary purpose and autonomy and step four about these don't drink go to meeting meetings that don't do the step work. And the guy said, listen, a meeting can do whatever they want. But he said, I, I consider the don't drink go to meeting meetings some of the greatest advocates for the meetings that have depth and weight because people will come into a meeting with depth and weight with an urgency they wouldn't have had if they didn't spend time in that don't drink during meeting meeting. So my feeling is I can only tell my truth, I can bring them to the book, and I want to be stand ready for when the person who is the real compulsive overeater has that message and it is not their truth, that they will feel open to coming to me for help. Um, I'm not. I'm saying that very, very rationally. I'm not saying it feels that way. I get very angry and I get very upset when I hear that message. But that's where the spiritual work happens. That I can, I can um, go into God and say, how can I be more useful in carrying my truth so that the real compulsive overeater can recover? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Harlan G, for your question. Christina L, your question, please. Linda G will be next. Hi, thank you. Um, my name is Christina L. from Florida, and thank you so much for your service to all of you. Um, my question is um, how you had mentioned that we need to earnestly seek that power, and I know that's in the big book too, but um, was there anything, um, is it just as simple as working the steps, or was there anything that you did um, to earnestly seek that power? That's my question. Thanks for the question, Christina. But I have to say, the steps aren't simple. The steps have a lot of musts. They have a lot of always. They have a lot of nevers. The solution in a 12-step program is the steps. I know for me personally, I was always thinking, yeah, 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 but what can I do in the meantime? You know, um, I think, and this is just my opinion again, but today, I think 
I hear people that are listening to podcasts eight, nine hours a day. You know, meetings do not treat compulsive overeating. What a healthy meeting does is exposes you to, to the solution, which is the steps. So my suggestion to you is, is to get a sponsor and to get into this book and use it as a textbook as opposed to a novel. And when it says pray, pray, whether you believe it or not. You know, I have a person, once again, I have a hard time with these and valves in the book. It kind of turns me off. So I have to look past that. Um, when it says take action, take action. When there's a warning, I heed the warning. When there's promises, I check my experience to make sure those promises come coming true, and I keep moving through the book. So the simple answer is the steps, but doing the steps takes a total commitment. Um, so that is my suggestion to you is make that total commitment to do the steps as outlined and not to try to get distracted by people's opinions or what you'd rather do than what the book is telling you to do. Thank you, Christina L. Linda G., your question now. Siobhan C., next. Good morning. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Melanie. Linda G. from Massachusetts. Um, so, um, yeah, um, I know that the disease is between my ears. And um, <clears throat> my question to you, Kim, is when you did mention um, that you made your food plan that was one of your higher powers or answers. And how did you move past that? And how and what are you doing now with your food plan? So it's with, not with your higher power. I mean, how did um, you get to that point? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, because I thought that abstinence was the solution. So therefore, the food plan achieved what the solution was, which was abstinence. The only thing that convinced me otherwise was my own experience. You know, that, that I was miserable just being abstinent, that I was terrified just being abstinent. And when I did pick up, and for me personally, I was six years abstinent, and I purposely picked up because they asked me to run for world service trustee, and I don't know how to say no. So my alcoholic mind told me, well, if I pick up, then I'm not qualified, and I'll just get back on track tomorrow. But my disease had progressed to the point I couldn't get back on track. And it was eight or nine months, and then I would pick up again. And then eight or nine weeks, and I would pick up again, eight or nine hours. So it was only my own experience of understanding that, that I had a mind um, that was not going to allow me to get comfortable in my abstinence, and that the only way I could get comfortable at, or numb out was the food. And I realized over and over again that that, that allergy was going to take me down, that I was willing to seek a different solution. Um, I have to tell you, my food plan isn't much different than it was when I came in 20-something years ago, um, and I've had to add additional foods because I was, once again, looking at what other people didn't eat, and when I didn't understand what the effect was, I was still ingesting some foods that created an effect in me, and there is such freedom when you give up all those foods because the allergy is not being triggered at all. Um, so I have a very structured food plan myself. It gives me absolute freedom. Um, I've had to make changes in my food plan, which is different. My abstinence has not changed. My food plans changed. I've, I've gone through menopause. I've had to give up certain snacks because my metabolism is slower. But I do that gracefully because I'm recovered. You know, um, so it, it, to me, uh, the food plan or the abstinence is necessary to get the clarity of mind. Because I want to tell you that, that these 12 steps, this is what I thought. I thought that OA would give me the strength 
to be busy enough and have enough uh, willpower to get through the day absolutely and go to bed exhausted, and that was a good day. didn't matter how much wreckage I, I, I caused either. What the 12 steps offer us and what overeaters offer, offer us is neutrality around the food that I don't care if I have those veg foods. I know I'm allergic to them, but I don't care if I eat them. That's what, that's what this program gives us. It doesn't give me the ability to be strong enough to eat them. It gives me the ability not to care that I don't eat them. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Linda G., for your question. Siobhan C., your question. Abby B., next. Hi. Sorry about the delay. Heard? Yeah. Oh, hi. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Melanie. Um, good morning, Kim G. Uh, good morning to everyone, family. Um, my question for Kim G is, um, is Kim, could you please show me the exact page, the exact paragraph, and the exact sentence where it says in the precise instructions on how they recovered, um, where it says we have to put down the food before we begin the steps. That would be so helpful for me. And if you could use the, if you could actually read the, for us. We can all learn the, the entire sentence where it says that. Um, Melanie, I'm going to I'm going to uh, pass on answering Siobhan's questions. We've had some personal conversations about that, and this is about step two. Well, this, is, so well, this isn't about no, no, this isn't about about path. It's about something you shared and that you shared. Now, Siobhan, I'm, I'm opting not to answer the question. I would prefer just to go to Addy. Thank you. It's not personal. I really would love to learn from you. I'd like, I'd love to learn where it says that specifically in the big book because I've never found it. That's why I'm, I've been searching, searching. So I, if you know it, if you could share Siobhan, with me the exact, Siobhan, okay. I'm, I would, I, and, I'm, and acceptance I'm, is the answer to all my problems. Have a lovely and I hope day, Kim. And acceptance is the answer. I apologize for that, Kim. Um, thank you for drawing your line there, um, Abby B. Your question, please, and then Sarah C. will be next. Hi, this is Abby B. in Maryland. Can you hear me? I can, thanks. Okay, oh, great, okay. Bluetooth. Thank you, Kim, and I'm just saying the serenity prayer right now to regain it after difficult exchanges. Um, can you yet talk again more about your spiritual practice, whether it's in, whether it's, I'm sure you have a lot of examples when you're facing, you're seeing that self-reliance. And also, just to talk a little bit about, I, I'm at step eight, and I'm feeling a lot of resistance toward um, making amends toward people I resent and uh, don't feel I can forgive. So it's a, it's, a, it's a quick double question, and you can pick one if there's not enough time. Thanks. Thanks, Abby. Yeah, I think I'm going to take this opportunity to, I think this is a good question, um, is the idea is what I do in step two is different than what I do in step 11. So for me, when I was in step two, I had a lot of prejudices and a lot of old ideas from my childhood religion. And what I found very helpful was to ask a lot of questions and say, this is what I've thought. Is this true? Um, talking to people, and this is just, once again, this is, I'm just going to give a little God moment here. So I, I grew up in Catholic schools, had a lot of prejudices um, and a lot of fear I, you know, I always joke, I had a belief in God. The problem was I was hiding from him because I knew he was going to damn me to hell. That was my, not saying Catholicism, but that was my interpretation. I come into Overeaters Anonymous at 27, and I'm in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is a very dominantly Jewish area 
And um, we actually, at the end of the meetings, would say, um, you know, give a lot of love, shalom. And we would actually say shalom as part of the, the ending. What was so beautiful is these women that I could hear from them what I probably couldn't have heard from Christian women because I had so many prejudices. So by hearing it from these Jewish women, it opened me up to new ideas because their thoughts were different. And the first two years that I was sponsoring, I swear to God, 90% of the women that I sponsored were like, were like were Orthodox Jewish. And I got to learn more about that religion. So in step two, a lot of it was questioning, opening up. What, what, what do different spiritual practices look like? So go forward to step 11. This is where we get to play. So I encourage my sponsees. I consider myself now a spiritual nut. I love learning about religions. I love Eastern medicine, Eastern religions, Western religions, American Indian religions. Um, I wear these um, these mala beads from this yoga class that I go to that I use as, as meditation beads now. So to me, the idea of seeking is to, is to seek. Ask people what practices they're doing. Try them on. If they sit right on you, do it. If they don't, you can reject it. And if something stops resonating with you, try a new practice. So I think the seeking part is just are we open to different ways of doing it? And I have to tell you that I, I personally have become uh, much more globally, spiritually, in a way that I have never, never thought was possible. And I still get those little, like, Catholic school guilt things like, oh, I shouldn't believe that because that's not what I was taught. But I, I you know, I believe that um, – I can find, I live in an area, my, my, my town too, I swear to God, there is a church or a synagogue, a friend's, friend's house, every block. I don't feel particularly attached to any of them, but I feel totally at peace in any of them, if that makes sense. So I just encourage you to seek um, what resonates with you. Thank you, Abby B., for your question. And I did hear Sarah C. She'll be the last question asked for today. Are you still with us, Sarah C? If she's not, Hello? I'm telling you. Oh. Hi. Hi. Hi, Sarah. Sarah uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> um, hi, Sarah C, compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Um, wow. I Okay, it's my first time speaking. Um, I am new to the program. Um not new to knowing about the program, not new to going to meetings, but new to saying out loud for anyone to hear that I'm a compulsive overeater, which is really hard to swallow. Um, I have a sponsor who is trying to work with me to um, do the um, OA program and not the Sarah program. Um, And my question is, in terms of... um, the readings and everything that you spoke about, Kim, um, one of the troubles that I, I felt even before opening this program was, you know, was this just, A, the speed with my life is just so busy with different things um, as a single mom, um, and, and my answer is in the food, and I noticed that with things in my life, um, as well as with, um, in general, like it's a lot of it is about escape. My food is an escape, and um, and and watching television shows to a certain degree is an escape. And whatever it is that I was doing, but food for me is is has always been a, a, some sort of a crazy answer. Um, meeting a guy and it going really well, and me feeling like I don't deserve it. Um, 
translated into eating an entire package of stale Pringles, which was disgusting, but I had to finish the whole thing. Um, and so my question is, as I try to learn the program, um, how do I, what steps can I take for myself um, along with helping, like you know, in my crazy schedule, um, how do I, how do I do this? How do I be present during the food? Um, like what, what are the first two steps? And my, and my sponsor's great, but you know, I'm supposed to call her every morning, but I'm just so busy that some mornings I just can't. Um, and so I, I really am struggling through the program, but my sponsor is still sponsoring me to work the OA program and not the Sarah program because, um, um, because of my, my schedule is so crazy, but I, but I'm here and I'm present and I, I'm so grateful for everything you shared and, and yeah, so my question is how do I stay more, um, present, um, in the food and present in general and how do I, what baby steps can I take in the program, um, in, as I work in my schedule to try to fit it, fit this all in? Thanks, Sarah, for the question. First of all, yippee that you're realizing you're a compulsive overeater. That's, that is the first thing. Um, you know, one of the things that you said um, is that, that food is an escape. So one of the things I had to recognize for myself, now I don't know if, you're, if that's your kids in the background, but maybe you need to hit star one. Yeah, I'll hit star one. Yeah, lots of kids. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Um, so you said that, that the food is an escape. That's, that's the indication, too, that food is your solution. It is your solution. I had to look at that, too. Stale Pringles, if something's stale, is it really that I like the taste of it, or am I seeking ease and comfort in it? Um, I, I, I heard someone say this, and it just really hit me. If you got diagnosed with stage 4 cancer today, and your doctor told you you had to go to chemotherapy five days a week and had to get radiation three days a week, I am sure that you would rearrange your life in order to make that happen. I don't think that you would negotiate with your doctor, well, how about if I only go to chemo three days a week and maybe just do radiation one day a week? Do you think that'll work? The doctor would say to you, well, you might as well not have the treatment because you're not taking it as prescribed. So all I can tell you is that if your sponsor's asking you to do something, you have to be fully committed, like we talked about. God is everything or God is nothing. This book has to be everything. As far as baby steps, the, the, the monkey chatter in your head is not going to quiet down while you're currently eating your binge foods. So my first suggestion is, the technology is wonderful, is there's a bunch of doctor's opinion podcasts on Vision for You, is listen to one of them. Look at that, that effect. Identify all the foods all the ingredients, all the behaviors that create that effect, which makes, makes that pinball machine in your head. Be honest with your sponsor. I, this is me personally. I have my sponsors right at the end of the doctor's opinion what their abstinence is. So when they say, I'm not sure if I was abstinent or not, I say, go to that last page of the doctor's opinion. Did you eat those foods? Did you eat those ingredients? And did you engage in that behavior? That means you're not abstinent. And put, be willing to put all those foods down and then leap into the step work leap into there. Take advantage of that desperation and that fear you have about not having the food and put that focus there. I'll end with this. For 17 years in a way, I faced the food and I tried to fight the food. 
I threw tools at it. I threw better sponsors, more meetings, whatever it was, and the food pummeled me every single time. Eight years ago, I put the food down and I faced the solutions with everything I had. Still did the tool, still had sponsors in my life. However, I was facing the solution. And what happened is, as I faced the solution, the food naturally went into the background. So my suggestion is put the food down, face the solution, and seek it with the desperation of a drowning woman. And thanks for the question. Thank you so, Thank so you, much. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah C., for your question. And that was the last question for this presentation today. And thank you all for your participation and especially to our presenter today, Kim G. We're grateful to have this among our archives um, that will be listed forever on our website with your experience on this chapter. Please join us tomorrow morning, Monday, November 26th at 7 a.m. and or at 10 a.m. Eastern Time as we gather together again to study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We'll be on page 161, looking at paragraph 3 at the very bottom of that page in the chapter vision for you, and we're looking forward to seeing you again there. Um, at the conclusion of this audio, we will give Kim G's information for you, so hang tight for that. But for now, we will close with the page of 164 like we always do at this particular meeting our book is meant to be suggestive only our book is meant to be suggestive only we realize we know only a little god will constantly disclose more to you and to us ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick the answers will come if your own house is in order but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>